The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. From the highest point of Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening to, you can always catch us on Tomahawk Talk on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future shows, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcast at. This is your host, Gabe Tisnes, and welcome back to another show. It is April, mid-April, which means finals are on the horizon, and I am very stressed, but I love to talk sports, so here we are having a little break to talk a lot about what's going on around campus, because for the first time in a while, we are going to have a whole first half to talk about FSU sports, which is a very joyful thing to behold um yeah it's it's that time of the year william where we have the spring game and fsu football is on the horizon so to help me break it down we'll introduce our co-host and future host of the show william haynes how are you doing bud i'm doing great i wasn't aware that we were gonna make that announcement on the show tonight but yeah something i'm very much looking forward to it's been great uh sitting next to you this semester gabe is your co-host and uh look forward as things go along but i'm doing good had a great weekend spent the weekend in paradise and by that i mean under the dome at tropicana field where the rays took three of three from the baltimore orioles to get it a fantastic start to their season things aren't looking so good tonight but uh we'll get into that as the show goes along yeah it's it's not something we'll get into tonight but that is definitely a little sneak peek of what the station has in its futures um but before we we get into you know fsu football uh fsu baseball fsu softball fsu basketball uh, w- women's basketball everything you want fsu sports you have it on today's show we have jack oliaro coming in for the first little bit of the show to talk about the spring game and we also have our boy aj lacourcier back on the show as well guys how is how's your weekend I had a good weekend uh, covering some FSU sports. I covered softball Friday, which was a thrilling uh, thrilling game. FSU came out losers, but still probably the best softball game I have seen and was just uh, very privileged to have to cover that. And then Saturday I was uh, privileged enough to go up in the press box at the Doak and cover that. That was a really cool experience, not only just uh, watching uh, preseason or what there is to come of FSU football, but also seeing Gene the last time. Uh, we, I was able to see him for a little bit in his last interview before uh, before he went on the radio and for the last time. And uh, it was just, it was a really cool atmosphere to be around, and I'm, I, was, I was very privileged to be a part of it. So, AJ? Yeah, I had a great weekend. It was beautiful weather up here in Tallahassee. It was outside quite a, quite a few times. Watched uh, some softball games like Jack. And it was a little cold. Yeah, was, I, I enjoyed it very much. And uh, took in some beach volleyball. FSU won, winning both their games this weekend, so... Good for them. Great, great, great games, and really fun to watch. If anyone else wants to go out there, yeah, they had their last home game, which yeah. is really sad. I, I've heard a lot about seniors trying to do the the last things they never did in Tallahassee and then FSU, and so I hear people going to beach volleyball, going to circus. All of a sudden, it's it's really fun to to see uh, something that I'll probably be in next year <laughs> as well. So uh, I'm gonna make sure to check out everything FSU sports in the next couple of months. And, you know, as we talked about FSC Sports, we'll start with the spring game, gentlemen. There's a lot to uncover here because it's our first official look at FSU at Doak Stadium. Um, 30,000 fans. 30,000 fans in April. I mean, that's a great atmosphere. That's a great thing to behold. And 
it was a little different. It was a little different. Mike Norvell implemented some changes for what is accustomed to a spring game. He made it feel more like a practice, an open practice, and um, it started off with two-point plays, <laughs> which was a little fun um, to see both teams, both both sides of the ball, trying to compete in a, in a short yard situation. And then we shifted into special teams because why? Of course not. Um, but we did get to see, you know, Trey Benson, Johnny Wilson, Micah Pittman, a lot of the newcomers. I believe there's about 24 of them. So a young team still getting in some new, bro- new fresh blood uh, into the system to, you know, see if things can, can run a little differently this year. But, uh, of course, it's still Mike Norvell. It's still Jordan Travis at the helm of it. So, William, what were some of your takeaways and, you know, is there anything in particular that struck your eye that we, we haven't seen before from Florida State? or In this era of college football, it is a little bit different. Now you have all these early enrollees and the early you know signing days and all these. So, um, you know, in, in spring games have passed, you, you don't have really your complete roster that you're going to be going into that fall with. Well, things are a, a lot differently. They've got a lot of newcomers, including guys that may redshirt and not even play a lot during the season. I know Sam McCall is one of those that people are asking, you know, he's looked great in spring, looked great in practice. Is he going to be you know, starting on Saturdays come the fall. So you get to see guys like that in, in normally in a year where you wouldn't. It also stood out to me as Mike Norvell has gone along his tenure how the spring game has run a little differently. And I think it makes more sense. You know, it's it's spring practice. Let's treat it like what it is. Obviously, you're not going to be able to hit the quarterback. And, you know, the defensive line is, is trying to pass rush, but you're not really trying to, you know, steamroll your starting quarterback for the season. <laughs> so uh, I think the biggest thing uh, as far as expectations, as far as takeaways, you know, take it take it with what it is. It is essentially spring practice that we uh, were fortunate enough to see. But I think the most exciting part about it was to see a lot of these guys that until now have just been basically names on a piece of paper on an article or, or you know that you hear in interviews but this is the first time they'll get to see them in the garden and gold and a bit of a, a sneak peek of, of things to come this fall yeah all four quarterbacks took snaps it seemed like mark novell was really trying to give everyone a chance to compete a chance to to highlight themselves as a player that you know deserves snaps when it comes when august comes uh so that was that was really good to see like you said william it is spring football there's not much here uh that we can truly make a take out of but at the same time you know, there, there's a lot of what we've already seen from FSU when it comes to the run game being effective with the passing game being dreadful, to say the least. Um, and the defense as well, it's it's ever improving. Um, Sam McCall, I, th- I think he had the, the first play of the game with a pick six that obviously didn't count because defense wasn't allowed to keep points. Because once again, this is not an offense versus defense game. But uh, it, it was it was interesting to see a lot of the newcomers. So Jack, yeah, what were some of your takeaways? Once again, the atmosphere is I mean, I'm sure you, you you probably got a lot out of it. Yeah, it was it was really good to be back in back in the back in Doak and much less the press box. It was it was good to see Osceola Osceola back on the field. It was good to see the Garnet and Gold. It was I want to say nature healing, but that's not quite the case of what it is. But it was still really good to be back, and just makes you all uh, gassed up and ready for uh, ready for August when Duquesne comes to town. But um, the guys that took my um, the guys that were uh, the new transfers that really had my eye were, was number one Trey Benson. Uh, he was explosive, uh, had an immediate impact on the side. I believe he had 77 yards in his limited amount of time, and had most of them were big. Um, I think I believe he had th- three first downs, multi big chunk plays, which is really good to see from a new transfer. Um, yeah, and he, could, he you could already write him down as maybe at least the number two guy if uh, Lawrence Toafili. Uh, isn't quite up to what he is. Um, 
Another big guy was Micah Pittman. He was bullying out there, and it was really good to see a wide receiver uh, be you know be excited for a FSU wide receiver. And I think you could. I can maybe argue he's already one of the first options Travis can look to when he's back in the pocket or when he's out of it and scrambling. So it was really good to see that. And for me, the best was Jared Verse. Um, so he's not going to replace Jermaine Johnson on the edge, but he sure as hell is the best thing yet because uh, his stat line in his limited time on the field, two solo tackles, two sacks, uh, a couple tackles for loss, and a blocked field goal, he is a menace. And he just he stood out immediately from the from the first whistle to last. And uh it was really good to see those all those guys transfers too. So it was really good to uh, get a chance to see what they are all about. A uh, couple not notable, but guys who didn't perform up that well. Johnny Wilson had a lot of drops. Uh, most of them were by the most of them were by Tate and uh, AJ. So it may be a mix of the QB play, but uh, still not good to have a multi-drop day. I believe um, I think he only had one catch on the day, and that was not even for a first down. Uh, Treshawn Ward was limited. Um, I didn't get too much of a read on that. Um, on as to what I don't know if he has an injury actually, but um, didn't get to see too much of him. Uh, again, Trey Benson really stole the spotlight for uh, the running backs that day. Um, and as for Jordan Travis, um, I, again, I, I William kind of mentioned this earlier uh, with the quick whistle, and as soon as you get tapped, you're, the play's dead. I can't make too too much of an assessment about Jordan Travis because uh, his ability to play outside the pocket is tremendous, and that's what makes him a very interesting and very um, dual threat sort of guy so when he gets touched um i can't make too of an assessment because when he you know the play is dead and all that um and the o-line they could have done better but um you know it's a group that's that's trying to get better and trying to perform but all in all for all the transfers i think really showed up and what we did see and what we already knew was kind of um kind of as as you were and then the transfers really showed up yeah, you make a good point about Trey Benson pushing Toafili. I think FSU already has a really good one-two punch with, with Ward and, and Toafili, but you had in Trey Benson, and all of a sudden it's kind of like what we, they had last year with, with Corbin uh, you know, being replaced by Benson in this case. But I do expect Ward, like we talked about kind of in the fall, uh, he is primed to, to be the main guy, obviously, with, with the running game that, that Mike Norville wants to employ and the style of, of, of the offense, it, it's never really going to be one workhorse. But at the same time, you can expect Ward to take over for Corbin leaving for the most part. Um, and, you know, Johnny Wilson, he, he had a rough day, but he is six seven. Like, can we talk about that for a moment? Like, when's the last time you saw a six seven wide receiver in college and in the NFL? I cannot remember. Um, but that is certainly something to watch out for because Jordan Travis likes to throw the deep ball. So if he can, you know, have a little step, maybe in, maybe even in the in the in the red zone in the goal line offense, you know, a little fade here and there, that could be really useful. But Micah Pittman, of course, he was the one that really stood out from the receiving core, the the transfer. Um, we've talked about the the wide receiver miscues. They are probably the weakest skill position in in the the Florida State Seminoles right now. So they're gonna be asking a lot of out of him uh, in the future. But speaking of skill position players, AJ Duffy. You know he's he's brand new to the to the scene. AJ, what did you make out of his you know limited time in the spring game? I, I I I'm agreeing with Jack here. It was hard hard to kind of get a feel for the quarterbacks during the spring game. I know the quarterbacks stro- I felt like they struggled a lot. Um, they weren't allowed to really leave the pocket though, and that's a big part of Jordan Travis's game, as we said. Uh, AJ Duffy, in my opinion, didn't look too good. But again, it's he's a freshman that's coming in early. I think from a uh, early. Early, a midi, rolly, a midi. Um, 
So it it's tough being put in that position. Uh, first game ever in Doak for him. Uh, I can't take too much away from it. He's brand new on campus. Uh, but, yeah, he didn't perform like I thought he would have. But I can't t- put too much pressure on him. So. Kind of, kind of what Gabe was was going back to say that the passing game as a whole lacked a little bit to be desired. You have all these new wide receiver transfers in the offense. It's going to take time for them. And one thing that I think people might forget as well, especially when you talk about whether it's the goal line, the two point conversion stuff, you're not going to want to put you know your best plays on tape. Like yes, you're trying to get your players time, but you know why would you want to showcase all of your best plays for you know the whole world to see? So you know it's maybe not stuff that they're repping all the time, but they just kind of want to get guys experience. Um, with with AJ Duffy specifically, something that I saw from him that I really liked was his ability to navigate the pocket. I mean, this is a true quarterback, a guy that really feels comfortable back there. I think he showed some nice speed. You know, he can get out to the sideline and get you those you know seven eight yard runs that we see from Jordan Travis from time to time. And um, you know, the, the throwing we'll, we'll kind of have to see as time goes on. It's one of those situations like with Chuba Purdy and and Tate Rodemaker. You hear about you know how they're doing in practice, but then when you finally get to see them and come game time, it can look a little different. Differently. And then the other thing, too, is now with the new redshirt rule, I believe uh, if you appear in you know four games or less, you can still maintain your redshirt. So he's going to get time this year. You know, Duquesne, the, the first game of the season, you know, hopefully you can give him, you know, most of the third and the fourth quarter, depending on how things are going and, and Rodemaker in there as well. So, um, you know, the, the quarterback room is interesting. And I, I like that Jordan Travis getting, you know, year three to to get more comfortable in this offense. Roadmaker has been touted as the backup quarterback going forward in He's probably improved since the last time we saw him. But at the same time, how can we really trust him after what we saw from him last year? I mean, he was put in a position uh, before Jordan Travis came into the scene to to be that guy, and he didn't deliver. Obviously, a lot of time has changed ever since, but I'm not really sold on him. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that quarterback room shapes up going forward. Yeah, and and I think – with Rodemaker, the most important thing to to remind yourself about him is the tough situations he was thrown in. He actually got some playing time in 2020. That Miami game he had to come into. He even played. He started that Jacksonville State game where we went behind 14 nothing to start off. So the offensive line looks totally different. And Alex Atkins getting to work with these guys that's the main thing. And you've got all these new weapons in there as well. Yeah. So with with Jordan Travis, you know, not really being able to showcase his legs and whatnot it's hard to really make an assessment out of the offense other than what we already know. Receiving crew is not up to par. Running game is, you know, probably the the strong suit of this offense. Um, But when it comes to the defense, you know, losing Jermaine Johnson, it's going to be a big loss. But at the same time, there's there's a lot of other positives there. Um, AJ, how do you feel about the back end of the defense with Possibly Omarion Cooper. <laughs> That's how you say his name. Uh, he, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him maybe take a starting role in, in the back end. I think, I think we're gonna pick. I think Florida State's gonna pick up kind of where they left last year on the defensive end, especially the front, and then in the back. I, I also expect some improvement. Obviously, with our big name recruit Sam McCall coming in, uh, he looked pretty decent uh, playing in Doak for the first time as well, because he is also an early midi. Um, but I, I, I'm excited for our defense this year, especially, uh, obviously we're going to miss, uh, Jermaine Johnson and, but I do think our front four is going to help the secondary, uh, eventually throughout the year. I believe, uh, our front four is going to help put some pressure on quarterbacks, uh, put some pressure on the run game and start making them throw. And I think our, the back end will help us out for sure this year. Yeah. Robert Cooper, a defensive tackle. 
redshirt senior, he's always been a menace in the run game. He's not going to be contributing to sacks as much, unfortunately, but he's one of the other players I'm looking forward to seeing. He's not, you know, a fresh face, but at the same time, we haven't seen him contribute to the likes of, you know, Jermaine Johnson. So maybe he's someone that, that can really step up as well. But, William, do you have any other big takeaways from this game? or? This is not so much from the game itself, but you guys talk about the defense. One thing that I, I'm looking forward to see kind of how it bears out um, Coach Norvell kind of splitting the defensive coordinator duties into two with, with Adam Fuller, who previously had the job on his own. He'll be splitting it with Randy Shannon as kind of co-defensive coordinators. And, and you talk about, you know, now without a guy like Jermaine Johnson, how you scheme pass rush is going to be a little differently, things like that. So to have an extra mind in that room, you know, Randy Shannon, a guy that's got a couple of rings from his time down in South Beach with the University of Miami, just one more, um, you know, kind of kind of mind in the room to bounce off of. So, um, you know, we're in year three of Norvell. I think things moving in the right direction. Scheming players have even players previously that have come back and watching spring practice. They talk about how much more cohesive everything is um, compared to years past. So, um, you know, spring game or not, that that's one thing that at this time of the year that I think you're most excited about. Yeah. Overall, it seems like the question come August will be: Is it the coaches or is it the players? <laughs> so it is. It is good to know who we will be asking that question over it seems like it at least on the defensive side of things it will be split not like last year um but now we get to transition into fsu baseball which means we get to talk about a team who is disappointing at the moment uh they used to be ranked number five you know they they've been you know touted as one of the best teams in the nation but right now they're not even in the top 25 william what's going on with the seminoles man it really kind of, not to be, you know, overly exaggerating or anything, it kind of feels like the sky's falling right now. I think you, you put it well when you explained it. You start off as a top five team. You have all these lofty expectations. You know, Parker Messick on, on the watch list for pitcher of the year. You've got, you know, for, for my money, at least going into the season, the best starting rotation in college baseball. You've got all these exciting transfers in the lineup with Alex Terrell and, and uh, you know, carry on and all those guys that are coming in. And... As we look right now, I believe they have lost seven of their last ten. Um, you know, they're they're approaching 500 on the season. They're they're 18 and 13. They're seven and eight in conference play. I think they're they're fifth in the Atlantic right now. So um, they had another two and two week. It took them 12 innings to get past Denson at home. I know it was a game that got you know delayed over three hours with rain, and it was kind of one of those weird funky things. But this weekend they go into it in, into Atlanta and play a Georgia Tech team that's under 500 in conference play themselves, and you couldn't take care of business, you lose that series. You drop two or three, and uh, none of your starters look good. Even Parker Messick couldn't finish the third inning. All three starters combined this past weekend against Georgia Tech. All three combined. Two and a third innings of work. They allowed 14 runs, six walks, and only tally nine strikeouts. And with the lineup struggling the way that it is right now, that's not going to get the job done. And one more thing on top of it all, a bullpen that's already been struggling they continue to be taxed more and more with these starters not being able to go deep into games. Yeah, and as we shift into gears, we bring on Max Rundy, our correspondent here, coming in for Jack. Max, first of all, how's your weekend been? It's a good weekend, you know. Gotta love Masters play, and mm -hmm. uh, of course, my MLB is back. Go Rays, <laughs> baby. But uh, they're struggling right now. <laughs> well, speaking of struggling, help us uh, unravel what's going on with these Seminoles. Well, I've talked about it before on this show, Baseball is one of those sports where you don't only need star talent. You need 
depth, and you need a lot of it. And when it comes to this pitching rotation, they don't have it. Not only is their starters a little thin, granted thin beyond two superstars, their bullpen is very, very thin, and that's a spot on the field where you need lots and lots of arms. And right now, besides Davis Hare and Connor Whitaker, the bullpen is in shambles, and especially Jonas Scalaro, as we've talked about a lot, William. I, I just think this is a team that came in with too high of expectations, thinking that their two aces would just carry them the load, and then an offense that was pretty good on paper, but not all that, honestly, and it's kind of showing, and it's showing streakily, too. Yeah, particularly you look at um, with runners on base and runners in scoring position. I think in, in one of the games against Georgia Tech, I think they went um, th- like three for 18 with runners on base. Um, with Florida State, it seems like the always, the always the talk is, you know, let's cut down on the strikeouts. Let's put the ball in play more and, and try and start, you know, moving those runners over and bringing them in. And I think that's one of the biggest things that they've struggled with. And, you know, you've got all these big hitters. And when they're when they're launching home runs at a Dick Hauser Stadium, it's exciting. And, you know, oh, boy, what is the ceiling of this team? But um, those, those types of players also have really low slumps. We talked about last week how there were guys that were, you know, oh for their last 18 and things of that nature. So um, baseball is one of those sports, as you mentioned, Max, it can be incredibly streaky. And things are definitely not bouncing our way right now. And. You know, the thing that makes it even worse is like you were talking about with batting average with runners in scoring position. The offense on paper, if you look at all their stats and everything, it's not all that bad. It's just baseball is all about stringing hits together. When it matters the most, when you have someone on second or third and you can drive in a run, you need to pick up that run. And right now they're just not doing it. They're getting their doubles, they're getting their solo home runs, but they're not stringing some knocks together. And that's just how baseball thrives. That's how you win baseball games. So what what needs to change for the Seminoles to get back to their winning ways? That's a that's an incredibly tough question to answer because it's not. I mean, the roster you see is the roster you get, right? I mean, you know, P- Parker Messick is no longer leading his own team in earned run average with three thirty threes, four and two on the year. So he's a guy that you know, with especially with the way that the team is hitting right now, you need more of those starts like he had against Notre Dame, where you're eight inning shutout. But they couldn't score a single run in that game for him. So it's like even when your starter plays well, you can't score, and then maybe you get a couple runs on the board and your starter can't get out of the third inning. I think the number one thing, and this is a major question mark because it would require someone in the bullpen that can that you can count on, but I think you need to start looking at someone else to count on other than Jonas Scalero, I think. Uh, Coach Mike Martin Jr. Has, has called on him time and time again and, and really to – some mixed results. He's also leading the bullpen in innings with over 21. So it's going to get to that point as well where he's maybe he's a little bit tired or overworked. And you combine that with, you know, his ineffectiveness. It's time to maybe move on to someone else. Jackson, uh, Bo Meister is a guy that, that they've been using lately. So um, that's one thing that is in your control is who you bring out of the pen. And I think um, in the coming weeks, they'll, they'll kind of look into that. And I just think the big thing is as much as we just talked about their pitching being a little disappointing as of late, FSU really just needs to start hitting the ball, starting to hit the ball consistently, together, not just streakily, like just string some hits together. Put put on, put bat on ball, move runners, play some old school baseball, really. And you just got to find someone who's hot on the mound. I mean, Messick, he's going to bounce back. He's a real bona fide ace. He, he's got the stuff to bounce back, no problem. Hubbard's still pitching well. He's fallen off a little bit from his really strong start. 
I just fear this 3-4 starter and this bullpen is really going to hold back FSU. And one little quote I have from FSU's pitching coach, Jimmy Bellanger, he said the importance of a third pitcher in college baseball is unlike anything else. Specifically, to win championships, you got to win on Sunday. The Noles have been one of the worst teams on Sunday. One of the season. worst teams. Well, as disappointing as that may be, we have another team who had a lot of high expectations, and you know they were doing great, great for most of the start of the season. But right now, they find themselves in a little bit of a slump with the FSU softball team. They lose their th- their first series against now number three Virginia Tech. Of course, the softball team is primed for the heights, but right now they're trying to get out of the slump and. AJ, I believe you went to some of the games, so can you help us wrap up? Yeah, I actually went to two of the losses out of the three <laughs> games. This, so I don't know if I'm the best of luck for our for the FSU softball team at all, but uh, they were very entertaining. Uh, the crowds were amazing this weekend. They were sold out. I think it was sold out Saturday and maybe Sunday as well. And I just think our, our pitching was a little down this weekend. That's my biggest takeaway. Our, our bats were were there. Uh, I know Saturday we scored nine runs in one inning. Um, so I think the bats are there, and I, I, the pitching will definitely bounce back, I, I believe so at least. Uh, just just a little bit of slump this week against a very good Virginia Tech team who was coming fifth and now third in the nation. So, Yeah, I mean, Sander Cox's first loss of the season was on Friday, so it's not this is not par for the course. This is not what we expect out of this team. Um, but at the same time, Every team's gonna lose. You know, they they won ten straight before this weekend. It's not it's not something to to get alarmed. Perhaps like baseball, right, William? Absolutely. And I think you almost to put the positive spin on it is you know Virginia Tech now number three in the country. Come come championship time when it's time to go out and get a ring. These are the type of teams that you're going to be playing. And one thing that I'll give the Seminoles credit for, you know, battle tested in a series like that, they responded in all three of the games, you know, especially the one they won on Sunday, but even the two that they lost. They had responses for pretty much every run that Virginia Tech went on. So this is not a team that's going to back down from a fight. They rise to the challenge, certainly. And so this is just one of those that you learn from. And, hey, we're going to be playing a lot of teams like this come down the stretch. And I think, if anything, to put a positive spin on it, like you're saying, this is just a reality check. This is a very good ball club. They, they have a very strong future ahead of them, and if anything, this will help them in the long run. Every once in a while, you need a good beating. You need to give up a good 10 runs in one inning like they did the other night. It's just it's bound to happen in baseball or softball that you have a weekend, you have a series where the team just doesn't play up to standard, and this was that weekend, and hopefully FSU can bounce back. But uh, I, I, I think they should still be poised for Omaha and another run for the championship. Yeah, and we, we're kind of wrapping up the, the first half of this show. So we have to hit on FSU men's basketball, which, of course, they're definitely past their, their, their prime of their season. Uh, they're in the, the full off-season mode right now. But there's still news because every week it seems like there's some coach that's leaving Tallahassee these days. Coach YC being the last one, the latest one for, for the FSU men's basketball team. He's been there for a minute now, William, and he's been a really important part about this, this team's rise to fame. Obviously, they haven't reached the heights of some other big programs, but at the same time, he he, he coined the name Blue, <laughs> New Blood Knowles. So it seems like a very important and like familiar part of this team is leaving. How do you think this will affect the, the, the nature of this team, the chemistry going forward? In particular with, you know, a lot of the, the, the old crew leaving, you know, uh, there's, there's questions about who's going to transfer now and who's going to come in now. 
Um, but in general, how does the coaching staff rebound from this? Yeah, well, to answer your initial question, I think it's going to make more of a difference than people think. Of course, Leonard Hamilton, the, the main architect behind it all. But but Coach CY, I mean, I got a chance to talk to him when he came to speak uh, to, to the sports management students. He's a guy that really understands the game of basketball. He's been in it for a really long time. He's been with FSU for the past nine seasons. And he, he, follow, he goes ahead to Missouri uh, to, to be the associate head coach over there for, for uh, head coach Dennis Gates, who was at FSU uh, from 2013 to 19. He said when he was was asked about it per powermazoo.com if it hadn't been dennis i probably wouldn't have been able to do it i've been offered a ton of other jobs i mean believe it or not some for more money than this i'm excited and dennis needed me so this was a guy that he he knew how integral he was to this this basketball program in tallahassee and uh, i don't think he planned on leaving he spent three three years as head coach of, of georgia southern at the beginning of the 2010 so i think his ultimate goal is to get back to there and, and maybe he sees this as a jump up, the number one thing I would say about Coach CY, the type of talent as a recruiter that he has brought into this program, four NBA first-round picks. You've got Scotty Barnes, fourth overall in 2020. Patrick Williams, fourth overall in, or in uh, the past year. Uh, Devin Vassell, 11th overall. And Malik Beasley, uh, 19th overall. So the type of names that you see that, that have led this team to tournaments in March, uh, Coach CY, Charlton Young, had a big part in bringing these guys in. Yeah, and you know, speaking of coaching exits, Coach Shu leaving it, it opens the door for a lot of the women's basketball uh, players to look into the transfer portal as well. Now, nothing's been confirmed, but there's there's some rumors going out there. So it, it's quite the time in Tallahassee for for sports. But of course, this is just the spring. There's much more ahead, and there's much more ahead in the second half of this. So we'll tune into now seminal segment with Kylie. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Happy 11th day of the fourth month. This is Seminole Segment, and this is still the same Kylie Brennan back again to keep you in the knolls. Bad pun. I'll work on it. While our number three Seminoles fell to the number five Virginia Tech Hokies in the weekend series, Sunday's game was nothing short of an amazing ball game. After a strong 2-0 start from the Seminoles, the Hokies rose to the occasion in the fourth inning and delivered some of the power seen previously in the weekend. Jamie Bailey raked in an RBI with a sacrifice fly, and Darby Troll doubled to bring in Emma Ritter, tying the game. In the fifth, Edenfield reached her 45th RBI with a nice single, putting the Knolls back on top at 3-2. The sixth inning was the talk of the town. The Hokies were quickly at bases loaded with only two outs after a single and two walks off of Katherine Sandercock. Addie Green delivered a grand slam inside the park, bringing the score to 6-3 Hokies. The Seminoles fortunately did the hokey pokey and turned this game around as Devin Flaherty doubled. Harding delivered an RBI single and Wachasser singled. Due to two illegal pitches, Muffley and Mudge both got on base, which in turn automatically brought Harding home, raising the score to 6-5 Hokies. At this point, Virginia Tech's coach was ejected by officials. Sydney Sherrill then delivered the moment of the game, driving the ball back to the back wall of center field, clearing the bases, and bringing the game to 8-6 Seminoles. Sandercock finished the top of the seventh, and the Knolls got their first win of the weekend series on a beautiful Tallahassee Sunday. FSU women's sports have certainly been on top notch, and beach volleyball is not an exception to that. For the first time this season, the program earned the honors of American Volleyball Coaching Association, or AVCA, pairing of the week. Maddie Anderson and Brooke Bauer 
received the honors after completing a 5-0 weekend against the top four top 20 teams. The dynamic duo is 22-5 and on the season. They defeated Stetson, TCU, and LSU in only two sets and conquered Texas A&M and FIU in endurance battle three-set victories. FSU Tennis had success at Notre Dame and Spicher this weekend. The women's team took down the Irish in a close battle. The win ended up coming from senior Lissetti Jacobs in the final match of the day. Knowles are now 12-8 and 5-5 in ACC play. Bouncing back to Tallahassee, the men's team defeated Virginia Tech for a great close to a perfect senior day. Number 33 Florida State delivered a 4-1 win for the last at-home match of the season. Every day that you are a Seminole is a great day, ladies and gentlemen. You stay classy, Tallahassee. Back to William and Gabe in the studio. Thank you, Kylie, for that great sports report. We are back for the second half of Tomahawk Talk, and we are getting ready to talk about some good old NBA because the playoffs are in the horizon. And when I mean the horizon, I mean literally right here. Um, yeah, of course, the NBA, one of the biggest, most popular sports, is hitting its peak. And... Unfortunately, this time around, it'll be the first time in a while that LeBron will not be a big part of the playoffs. Obviously, last year, he tried to get his way in there, but, you know, it wasn't going to work out in the end. But this year, it seemed like, you know, the addition of Russell Westbrook and, you know, the return of Anthony Davis without, you know, the possibility of an injury and whatnot, this was going to be the year where we were going to get Nets, Lakers. But we're going to have to put a pause on that and maybe postpone it for another year. Who knows? But, of course, we have to ask the question, William. How will this affect LeBron's legacy, him missing the playoffs straight up, not even the play-in tournament? We cannot get away from this question. As hard as we try, it just will not leave us. I mean, the day that they got eliminated, with all the things going on in the NBA, I saw that was like the big story on first take. It is getting kind of ridiculous. I, I heard it. Uh, it was one of the programs on Mad Dog Sports Radio, and the host was saying that, um, he, he he was predicting it before it even happened. He, he said he knew that LeBron, after the season was over, was going to kind of distance himself from the moves that were made in the offseason and say, well, you know, we, we got Westbrook, but it wasn't really me. You know, we just had to work with what we got and because he doesn't want it to tarnish his legacy. He cannot admit that this season was a failure beyond anyone's belief that why would you bring in, you know, the most alpha number one option in the NBA that we've seen in this generation and Russell Westbrook to a team with two other stars. None of this made any sense, and it went exactly the way that we all, you know, probably logically should have predicted. I, I got to say, at 37 years old, it seems like LeBron is not going to be able to carry another team like he used to. Uh, but, of course, we have to talk about the roster. And, and, you know, we saw Magic on first take. He was going at it. He was commenting on the DeRozan trade that didn't happen and how LeBron did this and did that. To me, it seemed like he was salty about the past. And, of course, he's salty about the Lakers not being good this year. Max, what's your take on, you know, what's going on with the Lakers, the, the roster moves, LeBron, everything? All right, so I want to start by just saying any subject of question over LeBron's legacy after a season where he's played with, like, retirement home players, like, that's just ludicrous. It really is. Like, LeBron had an incredible year. Man's top six MVP most likely, if not even closer. The real question here is, do you really blame Russell Westbrook? Because I don't. Who do you blame? AD. I, I do too. I blame AD and the front office for signing a bunch of 37-year-olds. Now, I know Russell Westbrook is not what he used to be, and he's not that good, but... 
I think it could work. I really do. You just got to put some actual shooters around this team. This team's best shooter is Malik Monk. Kendrick Nunn didn't even play all season. Like, th this roster just made no sense at all on paper, and I don't think it stems from Westbrook. I think Anthony Davis has a huge part to play in this, but of course, Russell Westbrook didn't really help his case as much. AJ? Yeah, as as a guy that never really comes to the back of LeBron, I, I'm on LeBron's <laughs> side this year. He averaged 30.3 point, 30 points. If he plays three more games this year, he's the scoring he's the scoring title, uh, wins the scoring title, and he's 37 years old. The only reason why we're having this conversation is because of how good LeBron is. Um, and that's the only way we can describe it. And I think we got to move to the playoffs now because there he's not in it. So. Uh, I'm here for that. I, I love some some LeBron love. Uh, a little bit more love we got to give to our man Scotty Barnes, the former FSU alum. He is having quite the season in his rookie year, and he's going to be a huge part of you know the playoffs as well with the with the Raptors, uh, of course. But before we get into how the Raptors are doing. We got to get into how the Cavs and the Nets are going to be playing tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in the first play-on game, battling it out for the seventh seed in the East. It's going to be interesting to see how the Nets look in their first taste of the playoffs. This team has been touted as one of the better teams in the league, and they're still, I believe, second in the odds to get out of the East, if I'm not mistaken, which is a big question mark considering that you know if KD were to get injured at any point, this team is not winning a single game. I don't know what else to talk about other than, you know, I mean, the Nets should probably win this, but then again, they don't play defense at all. So does any team really have a chance against them? It's hard to say. I would I would never count against KD and, and Kyrie, and, and who knows if Ben Simmons comes down down the line. I don't think that that, that particular matters very much. Um, they're playing a team in the Cavs. I believe early in the season they were around, you know, the three seed. They were hanging up as a people that were, were shocking everyone. I mean, there's going to be people tuning into that game that don't know about most of the people on that roster. So, obviously, you tend to decide with, with the Nets on that. And um, I, I think for the Nets it's interesting because, you know, other teams view this playing tournament as, you know, this is this is the penultimate moment of this season. We've got to continue. But the Nets, more than any other team in, in this play-in, they've got their sights set on something much higher. And another team that will be playing in the playing tournament tomorrow will be the Clippers and the Timberwolves, which, I mean, the Timberwolves, they're kind of a surprise team, aren't they, AJ? Yeah, the the Wolves have been playing very well this year. I like the, I like the roster. They kind of have a mix of some veteran leadership. Carl Anthony Towns is starting to become, uh, uh, he was an all-star. Um, and then they got D'Angelo Russell and then Patrick Beverly, everyone's favorite NBA player, is also on the team. Um, so... I'm expecting – I actually expect them to beat the Clippers tomorrow. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, I think they do take care of the Clippers, and then I think the Clippers take care of whoever comes out of the 9-10 game between the Pelicans and the Spurs um, pretty handily. So whoever does actually win, I think, still goes on to the playoffs. Um, but I, I really enjoyed watching Minnesota this year. They're a great team to watch. Patrick Beverly gets a little bit of revenge on his, his former team. I'm sure Kawhi and Paul George are going to be happy to see him again. Right, Max? No, I, without a doubt, I agree. I mean, the Timberwolves score the most in the NBA, averaging the most points per game right now. I think the Clippers are there. I think the Clippers have a very interesting team. If the NBA season was two weeks longer, I think the Clippers would be serious contenders to shock the world and make the finals. But without Kawhi having any any health, like, man's playing 3v3 right now. You would like to say he could just hop on 5v5 NBA playoffs, but that's just not how it works. At best, he'll be back in two weeks I just don't think 
the Clippers are quite there. I think the Timberwolves should win that game. And then I agree with AJ. I think the Clippers will dominate that next game, make the eight seed, and then get crushed by the Suns, who are my favorites just in general. But quickly about the Cavs. Cavs are a fun team. I really do enjoy the Cavs. They're just with not without Jared Allen because they're not going to be having them tomorrow night. They stand no shot against the Nets. And it's nothing even – I'm giving the Nets zero credit right now. I think the Nets are great and deserve a lot of credit. I just don't think the Cavs can do much without Jared Allen and with the way this team's been struggling recently, 3-7 in their last 10, really on the downhill ever since that uh, All-Star game was hosted in Cleveland. Well, we've talked about the Nets and the Timberwolves not really playing defense. But the next matchup, the Hornets and the Hawks, that's another one where we're going to have to keep our eye on what the over-under is going to be. I mean, is is either team really a big threat if they were to win it? I, I don't see them, you know, coming out there and, and, you know, winning. Whoever wins, I don't see them as a threat to, to the rest of the, the East. How do you feel about that, William? I don't either. I think we'll, by, by playoffs end or even by next week, we'll be able to answer this question. I, I view this, especially the 9-10 the play-in game, I view it a lot like the seven seed now in the NFL playoffs. I just I don't see the need for it. None of these teams really stand a chance. You know, you barely take them in in the game that they're in, let alone you know the one seed in their conference they're gonna have to be going up against. I'll just say one quick tidbit: if any team could make a drastic turnaround in a, just a couple games, it's the Hawks. The Hawks are a team with a lot of talent on that roster. Their defense is just god awful, just so bad. But if they want to. Because I'm just locking in. We all agree the Nets will get the seven seed. Sure. Meaning the eight seed is up for grabs. Correct. I think the Hawks will likely fill in. Wouldn't be surprised if the Hornets make it, but I think the Hawks will step up in a win-or-go-home type of game. They'll get that eight seed, and I-, I would not be too surprised if they at least make it scary for the Heat. Because you got Clint Capella, someone who can handle his own on the defensive end against someone like Bam Adebayo. And from there, though, the defense against that Heat offense is going to be a little bit struggle. You just got to look for Trey Young to outscore him. That's really what you got to pray for. And then I would also like to bring up uh, in the Eastern playoffs between Philadelphia and Toronto as we're going back to Scotty Barnes, who uh, is looking like he's going to become Rookie of the Year. He has been playing phenomenal this year. His defense, he can guard one through five, in my opinion. I'll stretch at the five a little, maybe. But... His offensive game this year has really has really improved from college to to this year alone in just one year has been really surprising to me, and I think that game is actually a lot closer than it thinks than we might think it will be. Um, although Joel Embiid will tear up the Raptors in my opinion and will be averaging like thirty five a game, just because the Raptors have no one to stop him. Yeah, the Pelicans and the Spurs are also playing, <laughs> but I don't think we have to spend too much time on that as well. It's not going to be the biggest of games. But yeah, as we kind of look at the bigger picture of the NBA playoffs, the Suns are the number one seed in the West, the Heat are the number one seed in the East. I think we can all agree the Suns are, are kind of expected to be back there, but the Heat, they've, they've made quite the season uh, out of a great roster that they've built, and it's not really built upon one player, I would say. So, you know, it's great to see Spolstra doing the most with, with a great combination of players. You know, Milwaukee, you know, they're, they're trying to go back-to-back, and I, I want to see Philadelphia against Milwaukee because I want to see Giannis against uh, Embiid. But I also want to see, you know, a really good game out of Philadelphia against the Heat if they were to win against the Raptors and Miami, of course, beating the number eight seed. What's the biggest matchup that you guys are primed to see in these playoffs? 
I think for me, it's a Bucks Suns rematch. And I know that's not even a first round matchup like you might have been intending right there. I, I just see it as this. I think the Sixers will do some damage. They'll walk their way through the Raptors. They just simply don't have someone who can guard Embiid. And then I think the Heat and them will play a good series. Whoever comes out on top, they're just going to be tired. That's going to be a really trying series. And the Bucks, I don't think any team is going to stop them in their first two rounds, and they should walk right over. Personally, I, I, I'm a big Bucks fan. I won't even lie, but I just think the Bucks are just like that, and they're going to do it again. I think the downside of the Heat, and you got to give the Heat a lot of credit for it, they're almost kind of like the Rays in a very minor extent that they're so platoon. This team is plug and play, and they are still going to win ball games. But when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to that eight-man rotation to dominate 48 minutes of basketball, the Bucks are simply better. And last thought with AJ, but before we go to him, I believe Frank Vogel has been fired as we speak. So <laughs> that is quite the breaking news. And, you know, it's not the, the, the most shocking news, of course. But, of course, it, it opens the question to who will be coming in for LeBron's, you know, what is it, twentieth year in the seat? In the... I think it is. Yeah, yeah. decade number two. I, yeah. I heard initial rumors were the Jazz's head coach, uh, Quinn Snyder, and a recent one is Nick Nurse from the Raptors, which I would not expect personally. That'd be a that'd be a highway robbery. AJ, last thoughts on the NBA? Yeah, I was just gonna go to the West with uh, some important first round games. Actually, I think Golden State Denver is gonna be a very interesting se- uh, series, especially with Steph not probably gonna play in the first game. He's still coming back from an injury. I know Clay has been struggling for the first couple months. He's been back from that two year hiatus, but in the past two weeks he's been heating up, even with a forty point game. And then the other game I'd like to point out is the Memphis Grizzlies. They're number two in the West. No one saw this coming from them. We thought they were too young. John Morant's playing really well. He's also coming back from injury, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, whoever they play in the seventh seed, which I intend to be Minnesota. Two very uh, non-teams that you wouldn't think would be there that have had really good seasons for both those franchises this year. So I think the West is pretty uh, interesting as well. Um Awesome. Well, we'll 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 shift gears now into the MLB as William's been watching the Rays play on the side. Uh, William, what's going on with the MLB and, and how are the Rays doing? Most importantly, because I know that you're dying to talk about them. Doing good right now, bro. Yeah, definitely. Me and Max would love to get his thoughts, and we've got AJ in, in here as well, who's keeping his, an eye on his Miami Marlins. But yeah, to start off right now, the Rays are down eight to nothing in the third against the lowly. Oakland Athletics, things were looking great to start off the year. They had an easy, clean three-game sweep of the Baltimore Orioles. But now, I think we even talked about this, Max, the pitching depth, especially with all these youngsters. So Ryan Yarbrough went on the injured list, and maybe he only misses a couple turns through the rotation. But now tonight's starter, Luis Patino, threw about 15 pitches into a season, and now he's hurt. He was grabbing the side, so maybe you've got an oblique. So that could be you know, a two- to three-month injury. We won't know just yet. Um, so you've got two of your initial starters in your five-man rotation that are down, and you've got uh, Tommy Romero making his Major League debut tomorrow. This is a, a topic of concern for a lot of teams in Major League Baseball right now is <laughs> the starters can't go deep, and now the Rays have already lost two of them. And, you know, the one thing that is good here for the Rays is they're one of those teams that as much as you need a starter, the Rays really don't. And if any team is okay with getting their starters hurt, it is the Rays. This is a team where almost every single one of their bullpen arms can go at least two innings, I would say. Maybe one and one-thirds, one and one, one and two-thirds. But I'm confident they'll be able to overcome this. Worst comes to worst, they'll go out and sign some nobody pitcher, 
use the heck out of them for 60 innings and then dump them for nothing. That's just the staple Rays move. And I think the bigger topic here is how about how about the Rays having a 20-year-old MVP on their team? That's right, Wander Franco. He's he's batting over 500. Yankees already reached base at least once uh, so far tonight, and he's a guy. I mean, he stole a bag. He's getting you know RBI knocks all over the place, and he's been playing three games into the season MVP level defense as well from the shortstop position. So he's a guy that definitely we look forward to as well. But of course, you know, Major League Baseball not all about. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays will stay in the American League East for now and and probably what was the biggest series uh, in the league over the course of the weekend, which was the Yankees and the Red Sox. The Yankees took two of three. Um, They ended up having, I think, comeback wins in each of the first two games of the series. Garrett Cole, I think he only went four innings on opening day, and I think this was something we discussed as well post spider attack. This was kind of the the poster boy of, of the guy that, you know, was using it to his advantage maybe more than anyone else. And I think he walked maybe the first two batters to start the game. Um, that The Yankees have not been able to get a quality start. Their bullpen is not as good as in years past. I mean, what is the ceiling of a team like the Yankees if their ace is not the Garrett Cole that we know him to be? I'll just say this. Garrett Cole looked so wrong the other day. So wrong. I mean, this is one of the most commanding fastball pitchers in baseball. And he walks the leadoff hitter to open the season. On four pitches, four missed fastballs, nowhere near the zone. Then, next batter, walk. Might have been a single, honestly. But then the next ball, Devers. Devers absolutely moonshotted a ball. It was either Devers or Bogarts. I could be blanking on it. But they're so good. I I just don't see what the Yankees can do. I, I'm shocked they pulled out two of these three wins. Big, big shout-out if you're a Yankees fan out there to the addition of Josh Donaldson already paying dividends. Yeah, and uh, you move to the National League side. I mean, the Mets took three or four from the, a Nationals team that doesn't look very good in the Mets. Obviously, really high expectations. And we'll, we'll go to you, AJ. Uh, the Marlins did lose two out of three in San Francisco against the Giants. But Giants, they're coming off a 107-win season. They're a great squad. And a couple of those games were closer than maybe some people thought. Yeah, I was I was really surprised with the Marlins this uh, past weekend, actually. Uh, I, I thought our pitching was going to be a little bit better this year. Our starters played our starters played pretty decent. Uh, Sandy Alcantara uh, starting the year off a little shaky in the beginning. I think it was maybe some nerves. Um, but the biggest guy I like to point out for the Marlins this year is Jazz Chisholm. He played a phenomenal series this um, uh, the series. I know he had a go-ahead home run in the top of the ninth at one point in the first game of the year. Uh, we were down, we fought back, and then we give up a late home run in the bottom of the ninth and a RBI single in the tenth. Um we 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 win the game on Saturday, but the the Mar- the NL e- the NL East is uh obviously kind of the the Nats and the Marlins are kind of towards the bottom. It's kind of big between the Mets, the Braves, and the um the Phillies. The Phillies. I can blank there real quick for some reason, but uh it's gonna be a fun baseball season I think for the NL East. Definitely look forward to it. you go. I mean, even across the league, even the Cubs took two or three from the Brewers. So it's always fun to see some teams that you maybe didn't have high expectations for play pretty well, at least early on. Yeah, and now we're going to shift gears into the world of soccer because, of course, we have so much to talk about there as well. With Liverpool, they traveled to the Etihad Stadium in Manchester, leaving with a 2-2 stalemate this past weekend. And, you know, Manchester City, they came in with a point of an advantage. And... Liverpool had to win this game if they wanted to take control of the Premier League with just seven games remaining. 
And Florida has been an incredible campaign. Once again, the Premier League seems like the best league in the world right now. And Liverpool and Manchester City seem like the two best teams in the world as well after some Champions League debut, uh, fixtures over the week. Uh, Jack's back on the show to help us break down what happened in, in soccer as well. Uh, but Jack, being a Liverpool fan, how disappointing was it to you know come away with that result? Or were you just happy to come away with a, with a, with a tie? Uh happy to come away with a tie that was a pretty ugly that was one of the ugliest starts i've seen by the liverpool side in a while and it's kind of a, a mix of i don't know if they did that or they did that poorly or if it was man city uh doing that well because man city were the icy blue avalanche of um attack that you know they've been advertised uh they came out early uh kevin de bruyne put a quick deflected goal in living up to his billing as like the world's midfield maestro um, but then Liverpool struck back. Uh, Diego Jota came came back with a quick equalizer, and Man City just kept rolling. And Liverpool was under pressure that mo- uh, most of that first half tremendously. Um, and then I think it was kind of a 50-50 ball. And then you know, G- uh, Gabriel Jesus put one past Alisson, and two one at the half. Immediately, not even a minute into the second half, Sadio Mane puts one past uh, to make it two two. And there was no more scoring from there. Um, but still, it felt like that first half really dominated, and it was that they were quoted as saying it was a huge boxing match, and honestly, I think Man City took most of the punches. Um, they were attacking tremendously well in peak form, and I don't think when they're playing like that, most teams are happy to come away with a draw, and I'm happy way, happy that Liverpool came away with a draw. Uh, we don't have much time to talk about soccer, of course, because we have to talk about the Masters, but before we get into that, yes, it was a great game. I think it lived up to it. That was the best thing about it, because mm-hmm. if that game didn't live up to it, then I don't know how you can advertise soccer to people that don't watch soccer. Nope. AJ, I want to get your thoughts as well, but of course, these two teams, they're in great form right now. They're in great morale, so I, I don't see Liverpool beating Man- Manchester City going forward, but at the same time, it wouldn't be the craziest thing because both teams were fighting for other competitions, the Champions League, the FA Cup. So it really is up to Manchester City to, to do what they've done, to win their fourth Premier League in five years, which would be incredible because of how great Liverpool have been in the last couple of years. I know Jack's looking at me with a very sad face, but AJ, last yeah, thoughts before would, we go to the goal? I would like to add in that it was, a, it was a very good draw for Liverpool, in my opinion. They are at the Etihad, and I would just like to point out Pep, Guardiola's uh, greatness again with putting Jesus in the starting lineup who he hasn't put in since January 1st I believe uh, or first week of January puts him in and he scores it's just I don't know how Pep does it he and they definitely deserve the win I in my opinion they deserve the win Mara's missed a late game winning goal towards the end of the game that was kind of clear kind of not but well, des- well deserved for Liverpool well good good draw good good point yeah both teams definitely deserve the point right there but now we got to go into golf before we wrap up the show because, of course, the Masters was this this last weekend. Similar to the Duke-UNC game, everyone had their eyes on, you know, the old figure, the, the Coach K, in this case being Tiger Woods. And, you know, Scotty Scheffler wins his first major. We have Jackson Bakich now on the show to help us wrap up the show. And, of course, Max is back on the show as well. Howdy. Guys, what did you see from, from the Masters this week? What was, what was the experience like? Well, first of all, that's a great analogy to use. Uh, it's very similar to that Duke-UNC game that everybody's eyes were on Tiger, just like everybody's eyes were on Coach K. And it wasn't the most exciting Masters, especially, you know, after the third, fourth hole when uh, Scheffler was, was pulling away early from, from Cameron Smith. And it, was, it got pretty exciting when Rory McIlroy ended up shooting 7-under. Um, he had a uh, 
a great, great round. Actually, maybe an eight under. I don't remember exactly. He chipped in on the 18th hole. Him and Mark Gallo both. It chipped was in. a yeah, but yeah. crazy under. round. Yeah, crazy and, round. Uh, if only he could have done that in uh, you know back when he was leading the Masters on Sunday. But um, you know, just Scotty Scheffler absolutely deserved it. Just played out of his mind all week. And you and, know, uh, sorry, go ahead. sorry to interrupt, but it's almost the opposite of what Rory usually does. He's more of a start strong, fade away at the end type of golfer. At least he has been in the past half decade or so but uh this one was a complete opposite complete reversal and then Cameron Smith at one point he was looking like he was gonna be about a stroke or two back and then that Scheffler chip in oh my lord that was incredible uh, that was the point I was gonna bring up I think that changed everything Cameron Smith goes birdie birdie start off the final round go two under one back of Scotty Scheffler they get the they get to the same exact position basically on that third hole right uh Scheffler is up first chips it in for birdie Cam Smith eventually makes bogey, and I think that's kind of where it's like, okay, Scotty's going to kind of run away with this, and then Cam Smith makes triple bogey on the 12th hole, and then and then Rory, out of nowhere, comes comes back, 8-under day, starting uh, one over, finishes 7-under. You're like, maybe is there a chance? And then Scotty just finished it off. But I will say the, the final hole was kind of great to see. Scotty has a five-stroke lead. He misses like two, three-foot uh, putts, goes double bogey. It's just like made him human in my opinion it's yeah. like oh i can do that too yeah 100 percent. like max homa tweeted about it. he said well if you're gonna four putt on the last hole to augusta to win you might as well just six putt if you can you know like who cares <laughs> but just to say that you did it but no, ja- I, I totally agree jackson who you got for the u.s open mm, that's a good question I mean, Scotty, he's looked unbelievable. It would not surprise me I one got bit. I think it's Z- Zalatoris. How do you say his name? Zalatoris. Yeah, he had a good he had a good final round as well. I think he might come out again. What about you, AJ? I would I would, I I think Victor Hovland's gonna win one major this year. Cause he's he's young, kind of like Scotty Scheffler, and I think Hovland's got the U.S. Open this year. I'm gonna go with Colin Morikawa. It's a good pick. Uh, that dude, he's just ridiculous in majors and I, I i names i look out for dark horse brooks kapka knows what to do when the lights he had are a on. rough masters he did have a rough masters not as rough as bryson though that's all not that as matters. rough as bryson yeah i'm not the biggest bryson fan so it didn't hurt me one bit but uh brooks kapka and jordan speed two names i look out for um and justin thomas he had he had a pretty solid weekend too so uh a lot of big names should be a great u.s open it's been a packed show as we as we've been circling in all types of people, all types of correspondence, but it's great to talk about sports as, as much as we can, and unfortunately, it's going to have to do it for tonight's show, but for Scott, who we forgot to shout out at the start of the show, the real MVP, for William, for Max, for AJ, for Jack, for Kylie, and everyone else in the station, this is Gabe Tisnes, and you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. <laughs>